You're now listening to Dirty Feet, a brand new podcast on No More Radio. Bonjour, oui, vous êtes sur les ondes des pieds sales, aka Dirty Feet podcast on No More Radio. I'm Alison Burns. I'm JD Papillon. Oh, I'm Jen Don. The donor. donor. I'm the donor. This is Joanie on No More Radio. Stay tuned for dance, circus, burlesque, tango, movements, salsa, whatever it is, we're going to move you. What are we now? Podcast hosts? We are a podcast, yeah. We're podcasters. 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 I like that. Podcaster. Cool. For dance. <laughs> How about that? Oh, yeah. Do you wanna dance? It's another episode of Dirty Feet. Uh, I'm Alison Burns, and I'm here with uh, two lovely co-hosts today. Judy Papillon. Joanie Ferrand. And uh, it's a different mix than you heard last week, because uh, these two took a little time off. Jojo, what were you doing last week? I was in Miami. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good for you. And, and JD, what were you up to? I was taking a workshop with Emmanuel Lefant at Studio 303. So it was an intensive workshop for the whole week um, from 9.30 to 12.30 in the morning. Uh, and it was really, really awesome. <laughs> Is it like a contemporary dance workshop? What kind of workshop? Well, she calls it contemporary breakdance. Uh, basically, if you've ever seen Emmanuel Lefant perform either uh, as part of Tentacle Tribe, her company, <gasps> or as part of um, Rubber Band Dance, well, you kind of know the style she's coming from. She mixes a lot of different stuff, different influences, uh, especially breakdance, of course, contemporary dance. She did her degree at Concordia, um, Capoeira, Popping, locking, different urban dances. I've got a huge crush on Tentacle Tribe. I know, right? That's cool. So it was a, it was a pretty intense workshop? It was really intense. So intense that I messed up my wrist pretty bad on the Thursday. So I couldn't even do the, the Friday because my wrists wouldn't move. So a lot of floor work, I take. A lot of floor work, yeah. Well, the accident happened when I was just doing this move and my, my hand went in a different direction than the rest of my body. So the wrist like kind of popped a bit. It's getting better though, so at least there's that. You did something else related to dance last week. You went to see uh, the Danse Boussonnier, which we've been talking so much about in the last couple episodes of Dirty Feet. I did. I actually went to see it twice. Um, <laughs> when does that happen? That really? happens when twice? it's a really good show. Uh, I went to see it on the, the Thursday to review it, so my review is up on Bloody Underrated, if you're interested in reading it. It was a really good edition of Dance Buissonnier, and I, I don't think I can stress that enough. I was quite vocal on uh, on Facebook, actually telling people to go see it, because there were some very interesting propositions, um, very, very well-crafted, and there are a few of those people that there's a lot of seeds of talent in, in in them and what they were proposing. And a few of them, actually, uh, one of them at least I know, is going to be presenting a fuller work, uh, a 30 minutes piece at Tangent next year. Uh, I don't know if it's been announced yet, but okay. I'm just excited to, to see what she's going to do uh, with 30 minutes. Because 10 minutes can go either way. It can be good thing it's not longer than that because the proposition is interesting but a bit slim so you wouldn't really be able to stretch it to more or it can go the way of that choreographer just didn't have enough time pretty much all of the choreographers managed to do the best they could with 10 minutes it was a great show and look look for further names the choreographers and keep an eye on them because they're really interesting so you can find that review on bloodyunderrated.net or you can check out right on our blog on our No More Radio Dirty Feet page and it has a, a little preview of the review and it'll take you right to Bloody Underrated. And that's Danse Boussignet 2012. Now we're going to get into the show today. This week we're talking to two dazzlingly talented young ladies who work in several different disciplines. Uh, They're both credited for the choreography and the music behind the pantomime production Puss in Boots uh, being presented by the Hudson Village Theatre this year. They also share the title role of Puss, so they must be keeping very, very busy. We're talking to Stephanie McKenna and Eleanor Young. Hi, ladies. Hi. Hello. Hello. 
So let's uh, let's talk about the two of you a little bit more before we get into the production that you're working on. Sure. Um, Eleanor, we know each other from Concordia University, where you're still uh, working through a double major in dance and music, specifically vocal jazz. Yes. And you also have a certificate from John Abbott Sejep <laughs> in the professional theater program. Yes. So you've got music, dance, theater under your belt. Uh, and you've been around town as a dancer and an actor. I've seen you in a few different productions. Uh, you were in Scapegoat Carnival, The Bakai. The Bakai, yes. The Bakai. And The Midlife Crisis of Dionysus, produced by Mainline Theatre. And in the last couple of years, you've been focusing more on the music aspect of your career, if I'm uh, not mistaken. You are not mistaken. All yeah. right. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, do you have anything to add as far as uh, who you are and where you come from? Um... Where no. do you come from? Do you come I, from Montreal? I'm, I'm from Montreal. I grew up in Point Claire. Um, I've known Stephanie here since uh, we went to John Abbott together. We were a year apart in the program. And, uh, and we've also worked together a couple of times since then. We're, we, we're, we're kind of we're we're friends. Oh, that's right. You are also in a Three Blind Mice production, which is, uh, I believe, Stephanie founded that one. Yes, I did. Oh, yes, you did. <laughs> Stephanie McKenna is, uh, you may recognize her uh, as Dance Gecko in the award-winning comedy dance tribe, Dance Animal. Hola. Hola. And uh, she's also, as we just heard from John Abbott, the professional theater program there. And uh, your production company, Three Blind Mice, produced a few grim tales and furry tales with a twist? Yeah, yeah, that would be correct. Are these, these are children's shows? Yeah, they're kids' shows. Oh, amazing. You're also the newest member of the On the Spot Improv Troupe. Oh, yeah. That is, is that true? That, that is true. Fantastic. I haven't, I haven't been able to play in a while, but yeah. And you've worked for Brave New Productions and Club Gymnastique Jeune Air. Oh, yeah. That's uh, the club I grew up doing gymnastics at, and I coach there sometimes. Okay, so you're also uh, wearing several different hats. You've done gymnastics, theater, dance, and uh, it looks like music as well for yeah. this production. What yeah. is your background in music? Well, my training at John Abbott, of course. But uh, I don't know. I used to do choirs and stuff when I was in elementary school. Other than that, just the voice training with our teachers at, at Abbott. So that's a part of the theater program there? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and while we were going there, I actually did two musicals there, so, so that helped out a bit with uh, the musical theater portion of my background. So uh, perhaps we can move on to, to what you've been up to with this production, Puss in Boots, by the Hudson Village Theater. So, since we're primarily concerned with dance and movement-based arts here, what is the role of the choreographer or the co-choreographers in a production like this? A pantomime, I believe it's for children as well, this production? Yeah, well, it's like a, it's a family show. Family show, okay. Yeah. Um, I would say that the, well, we've been rehearsing since September three times a week, and one of those days we would meet on Sundays, and that would be when we would have all of the chorus together. And the chorus consists of... Uh, anywhere, anything between 10 years old to adults of many different ages. And uh, Sundays were dedicated to choreography, which at first I, I went in being accustomed to uh, working with, you know, dancers as opposed to just bodies that are like many different uh, levels of skill. So it took me a couple of weeks to get into the the rhythm of things in terms of teaching kids and adults of different skill sets really simple dance moves uh, or something that's simple enough for everyone to learn and for everyone to be coordinated with. And they're all in the room at the same time? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and there are two different casts, so you have to teach the same thing twice, which is also daunting. Do they ever mix, or is it like you're always on stage with the same group? No, yeah, we could, you're allowed to switch it up, but... Um, yeah, generally they try and separate it just so that they can keep track of all the kids and stuff because altogether, cast and crew, directors, stage manager included, uh, we're about 60. So it's a big production. It's a big oh production. So to try, try and uh, keep tabs on, on everybody, they try and separate the casts and, and keep it like that. But yeah, like, it's, a, it's a chorus of 16 people and uh, I think 10 casts, 10, yeah, 10 ca like characters in the show. So... Every show has about 26 people on stage, give or take. 
I'd like to go back a bit and uh, talk about pantomime because there is a rich tradition of pantomime in the UK, mm-hmm. but not so much in in the you know in America, North America. Could you tell us a bit about what pantomime is exactly? Pantomime is awesome. Well, like, like you said, it's big in, in the UK. In my opinion, uh, from what I know about it, pantomime is like a rewritten fairy tale or, or popular folk tale uh, that they throw all these stock characters into. Like, there's always the love interest of the story. There's always an animal on stage. Uh, the dame of the story is always a man. There's the hero. Um, and then the bad guy, of course, and his henchmen, usually. Um, Sorry, the, just to clarify, the dame is a uh, comically played female part, which is played by a male. Yeah. And uh, you, usually by, like, an older male of some kind it's not it's not drag necessarily it's sort of in the monty python tradition of drag <laughs> there's also a rich uh link between uh, the holidays and pento is this why this production came about because quite often in the uk that's when most of the pento shows come about yeah i would say so it's mostly i think because it's a family show you know it's something around the holiday time families are looking for something to do all together You know, Panto is great for that. It's it's an interactive experience for the kids. They get to cheer on the heroes and boo the villains. And there's always a part where where the the kids are supposed to warn the the heroes if there's anything scary behind them. And there are parts where they're like, "Look out behind you! Look out behind you!" Oh my God, they get so into it sometimes. They're crazy. Those kids, they like shout things at you. You're trying to do a scene, um, and say say in one scene, there's like. Yeah, there's a ghost or something that's supposed to appear. So all the main characters are standing in a row trying to get out their lines and stuff, and then a ghost will appear in the background. And, like, there's this kid uh, yesterday. She was just going nuts because the ghost was there, and the cast members weren't listening to her. Like, they wouldn't, because you can't, right? you got to get on with the scene. But she's, like, losing her mind <laughs> because this ghost was appearing, and she was trying to save the main heroes, trying to save the main characters, and they weren't listening. So, yeah, it's pretty funny. There were there were a couple of shows where you just hear like I'm not we're not in that scene but you can hear it from backstage and you can just hear the children going like but yeah it's it's a lot of fun and uh, it's a, a tradition that was started in Hudson 12 years ago because this is a 12th production I'm not really sure how it came about I mean it's a fun project that as you said brings in families uh, over the Christmas holidays and I think in my opinion there are a lot of English settlers in Hudson which which helps it out you know so yeah Hudson does seem to have a a very rich um, British culture happening there and the the tradition is the pantomime around the holidays yeah not necessarily Puss in Boots but different productions yeah yeah different productions like productions in the past they've done like Treasure Island Beauty and the Beast Aladdin Little Red Riding yeah, Hood. Yeah, Little Red Riding Hood. I think last year they did Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Does pantomime always come with, uh, like, a heavy movement um, relationship? Usually. Yeah? Like, uh, I think in in Britain the tradition is that uh, the chorus and the dances are, are played by, like, a local ballet school or dance school. So when it comes to the chorus numbers, the little ballerinas come in, they do their bit, and then they're sent home and tucked into bed. Whereas... Production um, in Hudson, it's it's all of the chorus members and the principals dancing dancing the numbers. But I mean, it's a musical, right? Like uh, these pantomimes lend themselves to uh, inserting popular today's hits or like um, hits of yore. So you can really incorporate any kind of music into it. And of course, uh, any big number with that many people on stage should be accompanied by dance. As your role also is like co, uh, what is it? Is it you? Are you directing the music, the two of you? Or uh, well, we it? we sat down with the director Mary Varela because in in the script it's indicated that there's a song that should happen and there are suggestions in the script, but we sort of went through everything and said, okay, what's better for this moment? Because sometimes the suggestion is sort of iffy, or sometimes it's not culturally relevant because it's British as opposed to translating to um, Canadian and North American kids. Like, we just would brainstorm songs and then settle on them. And usually, when you get to the right choice, it's like, yes, that one is the right choice, and we all agree. Like, you, usually we sort of dispute about, you know, a few different things and then land on the right one. Yeah, but then um, there's also, when we would choose a song, sometimes uh, the words wouldn't be relevant to the scene at hand, so we'd, like, rewrite the words to it. Like, one of the songs that we have, our opening number, 
is uh, Sunshine, Lollipops, and Rainbows, which uh, kind of breaks into uh, Beyonce's Crazy right now. Um, so <laughs> uh, when a the, mashup, if you will. Yeah, it's a mashup. It's a mashup. So when like um, the rap part comes on, um, I don't know, he's singing about like chinchillas and I don't know what. But uh, <laughs> So we had to rewrite the rap portion so it was relevant to pantomime. And it's opening the show, right? So it has to hit hard. But yeah, so in terms of music, we would choose the songs, uh, sometimes rewrite the lyrics for it, and then, of course, teach it to the chorus and, and rehearse and rehearse ourselves and learn our songs as well. Yes. How do you um, differentiate pantomime from Commedia dell'arte? I'm sure it's very different. Um, I no masks. Yes, there are no masks. Right, first off. I think it, it probably comes from the same background or like it, it stems from the same thing it's very physical and uh pantomime is something where you kind of you're expected to overact you're allowed to take liberties with characters and like go over the top and it's completely necessary because yeah. it's sort of it's more fun for the kids that way and it i think of it as a real life cartoon in it a is sense. right because yeah. commedia dell'arte has a lot of movement on stage all the yeah. time like you say it's overacting it's exaggerated but yeah, it makes sure. it all the more dynamic and physical obviously yeah and it's similar in the sense that there are stock characters as well like yeah. there's there's always there are always certain people that you know you're going to find like for comic relief or, or certain gimmicks that are going to happen throughout the show that like stephanie mentioned a ghost part earlier there that kind of thing happens in pretty much any pantomime where the characters will say, now you'll let me know if there's anything scary behind me, right? And then there's either a monster, or I think there one year there was a yeti, or there's a ghost this year, or the, like the kid, there's a ghost that passes by, and all the characters go, what, what, I don't see anything, and the ghost disappears by the time the character turns around and everything. I think, yeah, there are definitely a lot of similarities between uh, Comedia and Pantomime. But it, in my opinion, I think the difference is that Comedia, yes, you have the stock characters, but it's always those stock characters in different situations. Whereas in Pantomime, the characters are written to the storyline. So it might be it might be the dame of the story, and yes, the fact that it is the dame of the story is is the kind of character it is. But I mean, her lines are written um, so that they go along with the storyline. It's more modern than Comedia. Yeah. Than whereas like, comedia, you Arlecchino is always Arlecchino, exactly, but yeah. he's always faced with different situations. But still, his self and mm -hmm. you know his 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 being, if you will, or his core is is always um, true and always kind of steady. Whereas uh, a character written into into pantomime could vary from storyline to storyline. Like for instance, this year um, the dame is called Patty Cake, and she's the village baker. Uh, in past years, I remember I saw Beauty and the Beast a couple of years ago, and the dame was uh, Belle's sister, yeah. which was a character that was created for the pantomime. But it was she. It was this uh, like Belle's sort of awkward, weird sister that was played by a male. Humor seems to play a really big part in pantomime. Is it humor that's just for kids, or does it also touch adults quite a bit? No, I, I say that pantomime is like Shrek. Um, you watch it, and it's a family movie, but kids laugh for different reasons that adults do. And like we always do a, a midnight panto as well, which is like the dirty version of the show. Um, so you can only no imagine... children allowed 18 and over. Yeah, exactly. So with a, with a show title, like Puss in Boots, uh, lends itself to a lot of you know, crudeness. But yeah, even even in the regular script, there's a lot of kind of double entendres or stuff that flies over the kids' heads, but is really entertaining for the adults, and it's part of the fun of it. It seems to be a, a big draw. Like, even if you know the story, you don't know this story. Like, it brings a lot more to the table. Just back to choreography for a bit. How do you work together? Do you break up the sections? Do you discuss together what you want to do? I would say that it, it varied for each number. But uh, and Steph and I seem to have different ways of working, but it really actually kind of complemented. We our styles complemented each other in a way. I, I like to sort of see how things structure out and then flesh it out as we go along. But Steph sort of flies by the seat of her pants. Not really. Like I have a vision of what I want <laughs> the number to be. But oh well. In in my experience with Panto, because this is my my fifth year doing pantomime, so I can go home and plan as much as I want to, and then go and throw it at the cast, and none of it, it works. Yeah, none of it works, or you know the staging of it doesn't work, or it's too complicated or it just doesn't look right on on the people that I have in the numbers so so often I'd have to 
change it anyway. So I find as long as I have a, a clear vision, it's easier to fly by the seat of my pants. Well, she does it great. She does a fantastic <laughs> job at it. But um, for instance, uh, one of the numbers we do is Beat It by Michael Jackson. Yes. Doing that together, I think we sort of had to uh, sort of tag team in a sense. For this, there was um, two sides, the good guys and the, versus the bad guys. And Steph and I would sort of, she would choreograph the good guys, and then I'd respond with something that the bad guys do. And then, like, we sort of feed off of each other and then get to a problem bit, then, like, consult a little bit, then go back to it, and then be like, okay, this is what has to happen. And like Steph said, you can't really plan too much in, a, in advance because... You know, there's something that could work really well if it's a, if it was a professional production that with like fantastic dancers and and all the time in the world to choreograph it, then you could make it into what you see it becoming potentially. But sometimes you need to say, okay, well, we need to keep it simple. We need to, you know, we need to have something that everybody can do, and then. A lot of the time, the simple stuff winds up looking really good, too. It does, it does. But also... Surprisingly. Also, like, sometimes uh, you'll go in with an idea and uh, test it out, and it's just not working, and then a kid will do it wrong by accident, and what the kid did is so much more interesting oh, for sure. than what you came up with. So you incorporate it. I mean, because it's like community theater, that's what's fun about it, is, is the, that sense of family and community that you have going into the project. So when it comes to big dance numbers and stuff like that um, when everybody's feeding off of each other it's important to try and incorporate ideas and uh, do your best to have fun while you're doing it rather than have like a strict session of choreography yeah because if, if the kids wind up having fun while they're doing it they they want to do it and they do it well whereas yep. like if you if you give them something that's that they they're not really into they're not professional performers they can't fake having fun necessarily so like you you end up seeing these kids that are like obviously confused about what's going on and they're not like it it just looks kind of like you're like okay well i need to give them something that they'll enjoy i've been to a lot of studio recitals i can <laughs> totally see that i'm just gonna sit down now i don't know what's going on anymore how, how young are we talking about though i think how young the, is the youngest cast i think member? um i think she didn't accept anyone less than 10 years old this year okay which is still like because less than 10 you wind up having kids that really don't know like that really need to be guided along and taken by the hand That's which is which I is not a problem but it's uh like sometimes you need to move faster than that and you don't have time to to catch everyone up at that pace that was mary's experience was that accepting people less than 10 is usually like they're a pleasure to have in the end but it usually winds up taking more time along the way and that's not always time that we have because three times a week over three months actually went by so fast yeah it really did that's what anyway. I was picturing when I when I described the studio dance was yeah like the little little six year olds who just don't know what they're doing yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and you also are both doing the title role. Yes. How does that fit in with all the rest of what you're doing on the production? Uh, it took a back burner for a bit. I yeah. mean, we'd have uh, uh, as Eleanor said, we'd have one day that was for choreography and music, and then the two other rehearsals were our scene work and stuff. Yeah, when we weren't thinking of dance routines and stuff like that, we'd get to work on our characters a bit and rehearse ourselves in the scene. But then as far as dance numbers went, um, we didn't really start focusing on the stuff that Puss does up until maybe a month ago. Yeah. Because we were focusing so much on the chorus and on the other characters and like making their songs okay and like, you know, working on working on their singing. And then you get to the point where you have to sing Beat It and you're like, I don't know the words. Wait yeah. a second. Is there someone who would be um, coaching you, or would you, would you be coaching each other for the same role you're doing? Uh, well, there's a director, so a director. Uh, yeah. yeah, Mary. Mary would pay close attention and uh, and yeah. guide us through naturally. But uh, but yeah, with that much going on in production, uh, when it comes to the crunch, it's like kind of my favorite part. You know, the nerves are are, are up there, and you start you start revving to go and. Uh, with a gentle hand like Mary's, it's easy to, to, to feel more confident and, and to know that you're going to be okay out there. Yeah. She's really a pleasure to work with, actually, because she'll, she'll tell you if something's not working and she won't mince words, but she won't, uh, she, you know, she, she doesn't say it in a detrimental way. She'll say it in a way that she, like, you know, she sees something that needs work and it needs to be better for the show to be better. You know, she has, she has a great mix of honesty and, and gentleness. What's her name? What's her full name? Mary Varela. 
in a double cast situation like this, is the goal to be as similar as possible so that everybody gets the same experience? Or not in pantomime? You know? <laughs> uh, the, the cast members often joke about me because, uh, as I said, I, I've been doing this with them for five years, uh, and usually I play like the the zany, goofy kind of Bobo characters, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I go a little nuts uh, on stage. Mary's very supportive and she kind of gives you free reign of whatever you want to do and obviously if it's too much she'll pull you back so I, I just go out there and I you know in, in true dance gecko style I just go crazy on stage which isn't necessarily what my double castmates do or uh, what any of the people on stage are used to but they know to expect it from me now I think I think there is a certain level of like you need to know what cues you need to give to the oh. other characters well, and yeah, to, yeah. The, to the tech people so that they can give the right sound cues but yeah, I've I've been having a lot of fun because yeah. the part of Puss is just so you get to be a brat on stage and you get to do basically whatever you want. Like yeah, so script wise, we're we're exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, we have a guideline of where we're supposed to be and when, but uh, but like we feed off each other, right? When the other cast is doing their run, um, like I'll watch Eleanor and I'm like, oh, that was really good. I should do that. Eleanor, is it okay if I steal that? And she'll be like, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the same thing happens. And, I think I yeah I've, I've taken a couple of things from you and you from me like I think that's you you can really sometimes if you feel weird in a scene and you're just like I don't know what to like what to do to make it work and then you see the other cast do it and you're like oh oh that makes sense and it sort of it does help you go along you know so who's the best puss <laughs> we are equally as great in different ways it's not about being better it's a, about being yourself. <laughs> As, as a cat. <laughs> that is the model. <laughs> Yourself as a cat. <laughs> Where did these accents come from? <laughs> I don't know. They're good. <laughs> Puss. Hmm. Yes. Mm. Oh, how how does Puss talk? Oh, God. I didn't even know. Uh, I, I talk like myself, but amplified, possibly. I, I think I, I take on... Because I, I have two cats, and I sort of have taken a lot of the mannerisms from them. <laughs> How they talk, I, yes, you try Well, to no, not, not talking, but I take a lot of mannerisms from them, and I think the mannerisms feed the way I speak to some degree. Like, uh, you know, cats put on a show sometimes, or sometimes they'll act really dramatic for no reason, or they'll, you know, they'll they'll be, like, hunting something as a, like... They'll, they think they're a jungle cat. <laughs> And and they just look like uh, I think cat owners know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, like you know what you know what. Okay, I have my cat. Sometimes will will like run into the room and look like they're hunting the the craziest prey, oh, and then that. they run out again. And you're like, I don't know what you're doing. I do that with donkey. Yeah. Oh yes. Um, my voice. I don't know what. Okay. One of my favorite parts of this production, um, I refuse to put on the costume until dress rehearsal because I find it adds to my character, especially for Panto because I never feel ready to go on stage. But then our dress rehearsals are always in front of an audience. So I refuse to put on my costume until that dress rehearsal night. And then I, I, I went out there and it just came out. So I think my puss speaks like maybe a heightened, super hyper version of what my voice is, which is sounding very calm now, but normally it's not. <laughs> But I also do accents de depending on the scene and my lines. I think we have a similar take on it, but it comes out a bit differently. Yes. <laughs> you're like you're like a sassy puss. Oh, you're a sassy puss pants. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say Steph has a, a more like sarcastic. I think she she tends to make more jokes, or she makes she's more sarcastic, possibly. Well, what would you name me? Like, if you're a sassy puss pants, what's my nickname? Oh, I'm not good at this. <laughs> Don't put me on the spot like that. Well, I'll think about it. <laughs> How was opening night? It went well. I didn't have a fantastic opening for myself. Like, I didn't feel great about it. But then the audience all gave great feedback. This is my first time doing a panto. I've seen it before, but it's my first time being in it. And um, I didn't realize how much the kids were going to love the person dressed up like a big cat. So like you know, kids sort of rush the stage afterwards, and they all want pictures with you, and they all want they want to tell you about their cats. They're like, I have two cats, or I, I my cat does this, my cat's name is that, or I saw a movie, the, I saw the movie Puss in Boots, and the dogs were really scary. They had red eyes, and like <laughs> inconsequential stories that they're telling you, and you're like, oh, okay, that's great. Anyway, but the opening was fun. We did four shows over the weekend. I did two. Steph did two, and we're sort of trying to switch it up like that. 
How do you feel about the opening stuff? My opening was was fun. There were a lot of little kids in the audience uh, shouting things throughout the show. Uh, and after, I signed a couple of autographs and took some pictures and stuff. And this one little girl, I think it was yesterday, she's like, I know you. And I was like, oh, okay. I've seen you on my TV. <laughs> I was like, well, really? Well, what, what was I doing on your TV? And she goes, you were being puss. That's your name, right? You're, you're puss. And I was like, yep, that, that's me. And she goes, well, I have your movie. And then she just <laughs> trotted off and like, waved Aww. goodbye and left, you know? So it's, it's moments like that that, <laughs> that I think about. Um, mm. So, yeah, having that much fun on stage and then having just as much fun after the show with all these yeah. little kids surrounding you is like, makes it all worth it. That's great. So you can catch the show, and I'm definitely more than intrigued at this point after talking to you ladies. It's running, uh, it started on December 14th, and it's running all the way to January 6th, and there are tons of times, both matinees and evening shows. You can go to villagetheater.ca to, to get tickets, or you can call the Village Theater, the Hudson Village Theater. I would say it's uh, it's a lot faster to reserve online, and you, online? Can, you can choose specifically what seats you want. Ooh. Um, if you are interested in reserving seats, you should go and reserve as soon as possible, because there are some shows that are starting to sell out. Yes. It's not a huge theater, so tickets do go fast. And it's important to note, too, that it is in Hudson. Do you guys have a recommendation of how to get there? Uh, like friends carpool. with somebody? With a car? Yeah, carpool. Because yeah. you can take a train out, but then you it can't only get goes back to home. <laughs> you can take a train if you're, ta- if you're going to the 7 o'clock show. Yeah. Because it'll get there at 6.30, but yeah. then... Then you got to hitchhike home. Yeah. Not so much fun with the family. (laughs) Cross-country ski. (laughs) Find a buddy with a car. Toboggan. So thank you so much. We've been talking to Stephanie McKenna and Eleanor Young from the Hudson Village Theater's production of Puss in Boots. It's a pantomime, a seasonal pantomime running uh, right now. So it sounds amazing, and I urge you to go see it. I'm going to. Yay! Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for inviting us. So it's the end of uh, 2012, and it's been a great year in dance. And recently I saw, I, I read an article on nightlife.ca, uh, Nightlife, which was this uh, printed publication which is now only available online. And there was a top ten of the dance shows in Montreal in the year 2012 written by Iris uh, Gagnon-Paradis and Marites Carino, which was really interesting, and I find that Top tens are a bit tacky, but at the same time, they're fun. And I feel that it's a great way to talk about the shows we've seen this year that we really loved as a way to say goodbye to the to this year and move on to the next year. So I'm raising the questions to you guys. What shows have you seen this year that you really, really loved? I haven't seen many shows this year, unfortunately. So I'll have to, to ask you guys, maybe Allison, what were your best your best shows this year? I was so lucky this year. I got to see so many uh, works. Of course, the most recent come to mind, first and foremost, but I think I could have told you this before I even saw it, that I knew that The Tempest Replica was going to be one of my top favorite shows. Yeah, absolutely. It was her latest work. It's the third work of hers that I've seen. It was presented by Agora, and it just blew my mind. A lot of multi disciplinary stuff um, and uh, she based it on the Tempest and it was theatrical and prop heavy and gorgeous costumes and just true superhuman crystal pipe dancers from her company Kid Pivot and it really blew me away um, well I, I did myself a little top five which I worked on yesterday and I just raked my brain to, to think about my top five and Crystal Pite, Tempest Replica, was in the top eight, but it didn't make the top five. I mean, I loved the show. I I liked it. But it's just that when I was doing my top five, I was trying to think of the five shows which really had a huge impact on me as a person. You know, and I'm not not talking about my top five is the best then shows I've seen this year. I don't think so. But out of just pure enjoyment and loving the show Mm -hmm. uh, I I didn't feel that Tempest Replica would be on that list even though it was a great show alright fair enough well throw me one of your top five yeah yeah, we'll see if we accept them okay I'm I'm gonna start easy and go for one that I'm pretty sure you'll agree on Uh, Tentacle Tribe uh, presented at Cartier Dance oh my god yes see I knew it like we said at the top of the show I have a huge crush on them I think a lot of people have tried this breakdance contemporary fusion and few have succeeded in the way that Tentacle Tribe has succeeded to 
properly blend those styles. And it's really interesting uh, talking about tent culture because I first saw them perform as a duet, as a company, at Short and Sweet a year ago about. Back then, I mean, both are dancers for rubber band dance, and both of them had very much the Victor he had a signature, but they've really managed to develop their own signature. Sure, it's, you know, it, it goes pretty much up the same alley and everything, but they've really developed their own language, which is so interesting to see because they just work so well together, I find. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's clear how comfortable they are uh, interacting, whether they're they're touching or not. They just have a great chemistry. Are they a real-life couple? Yes. Ah, that and they're it. both fantastic movers, so the chemistry, like just the movement chemistry between them is just, you know, off the charts. Yeah. Can I uh, butt in with another one of my favorites yes. from this year? Tete a Tete by Stefan... Gwajisevsky. Thank you. Like it was a one-on-one -on -one show as part of the uh, Festival Nouveau Cinema, and it was just such an untraditional proposition. As far as I know, it's not something that I'd encountered before, and he just had such a gentle approach to interaction, and that's something I really appreciate. I think uh, it makes me really nervous when something is demanded of you as an audience member um, but I felt really cared for in that in that proposition I don't want to say too much about it even when I reviewed it I was very um, non-committal because it's it's an exploration it's really a discovery and uh, I, I know that he's a very active artist if you get the chance check out check out some of his projects because he's he's got a beautiful mind my next pick would be Brian Brooks uh, <gasps> which was presented at Tangent. It, it was um, four excerpts from pieces and uh, I mean on the program it was listed as Motor and Big City which are two of his long works and it was presented as a double bill with Rafael Perrault in November and from your gasp I will guess that this was one of your very well liked shows again this year too. Well it's so funny because you and I do have very different tastes in dance. And uh, often, if I love a show, you hate it, and vice versa. But this list was. Sir Barton? Right. Loved it. Hated it. I don't know. I don't know. And then um, Mists and Machines. Motor, Big City. Oh, uh, Peter Trotzmer. Yeah, loved it. That was fantastic. Didn't, didn't care for it. Really? <laughs> yeah. How could you not? It was awesome. Uh, I liked his opening story. Anyway, we're getting off track. But it seems like our, our list is fairly similar, which I think uh, gives it a little bit of weight there that us of very different tastes can still come together on uh, on some of the stronger works of the year. But yes, Brian Brooks blew me away. I haven't stood up in ages for a show. And after a half hour of just little short excerpts of his work, I was on my feet. He's incredible. I remember seeing him two years ago. He was um, like it was his first trip coming to Montreal, and he was part of a double bill with Jacques Poulain Denis. Back then, I, I actually saw him twice that that year when he came. Both nights, I was just astounded. Like I, I think his work is so interesting, very human. Like the dance is impeccable. The musicality is, you know, really powerful. Out of what he was presenting this time, there was only one excerpt which he hadn't presented two years ago when he came, mm -hmm. and it was this duet. You know, when um, the guy walks on him. Yes, like, at that, the very first duet. Yeah, exactly. And they're wearing like uh, a burgundy and an orange suit, which are not really flattering, but yet they pull them off very well. Well, they're handsome guys. Yeah. <laughs> and they're fantastic movers. Mm -hmm. Brian Brooks himself is just one of the best male dancers I've seen perform, I think. He is just magnetic on stage. And it's, again, that's a brilliant marriage between being a strong performer with good technique and having really intriguing ideas, new propositions, and that just flow super well. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, what would be your next pick? My next pick is, is, I don't know, I feel like I'm almost cheating, but Political Mother by Hofus Schechter. Yes, which I've seen. I was in London, actually, in 2010. You saw it in London? Yes, I did, at Sadler's Wells. Beautiful old theater. Um, and since they're a UK uh, dance studio, it was crowded, full, 
stand-up ovation. I mean, obviously the show is very, the music, the, the, the rock and roll kind of feel to it, and the many, many dancers on stage. It's just so freaking dynamic. Yeah, It's I love exciting. that show. Exciting. It's exciting. Two years ago, I still remember it like it was yesterday, yeah. I, I think, and we discussed this right after we saw it together, JD, that um, I, I do find that the show has some weaknesses in the midsection where it does become kind of cyclical and repetitive and... True. Um, it loses that fire that it starts with where it's really exciting it's really surprising it's energetic and it's aggressive but i still remember that it, it elicited an emotional reaction from me and an ex a thrill right that uh, you don't usually get in contemporary dance no so. and i did a Sorry, I did a workshop with two of the dancers in 2009 when they were in Montreal at uh, Circuit Est. And this was such an awesome workshop because um, I take that Hofesh, he wasn't at the workshop, but I take that he, as one of the dancers was saying, he doesn't like kick-ass dance. He doesn't like people to do technique shit. Like virtuosic or something. Yeah. he The, the dancers were like, They were making us do all these diagonals, and they were like, just dance, just don't think about it, mm -hmm. just don't be pretty. Just And everybody was being pretty and thinking about it and kicking the legs, and, and try, I was trying so hard to be as good as the other ones, but he was like, no, kick-ass dancing. And the dancers in this in this company, they're, they're actually very strong technically, but they're at the same time very animalistic what they do on the floor, and they move, and they just don't care. They brush off whatever bit of beauty they have to make it beautiful somehow. I don't know if that makes sense at all. Well, the way I interpreted it, especially like the the beginning duet is like, it's just somebody rocking out in a club. They're just dancing, <laughs> yeah. they're having a good time. And what makes it choreography <laughs> is that there are two of them doing it in unison. And you're like, oh, okay, uh, this is this is set material, but it's so um, organic. And it's, it's dancing, it's feeling it, and it's dancing. Yeah. Also, I feel that his exploration of the social power for change of music and dance in that piece, how it brings people together, how it gives them the courage to stand up, it is so human. It's such a human topic, especially right now. You know, you see situations internationally, and it just rings really true, and it does make the work so powerful because of that. It's a very general kind of universal us versus them, leader, follower, rebellion prisoner sort of topics and I appreciate that it gives a context for that aggressive movement where it's not too much up next, next on one? my list is Benoit Lachambre uh, Snakeskins which you know from discussing the, the, the show with a few people the reactions being really love it or hate it uh, very few people were you know like just on the verge of liking it or not nobody's uh, in the middle yeah You're that's on one right side exactly or the other. yeah and i just felt i mean i wasn't crazy about the whole show of course it's rare that you're crazy about the one hour piece completely but there were such strong moments like visually especially like he creates such powerful images that just really haunt you afterwards the hu the use of the music was absolutely wonderful too and it was just one of those pieces that i saw and i was like Oh man, I love doing dance, you know. It just gets you in a very visceral fashion, and that's why it's one of my top five pieces of the year. To keep the conversation alive, I, I don't know what number I'm at right now, honestly. <laughs> But I did want to bring back um, Azure Barton, mm -hmm. because uh, that was another piece that I really appreciated, despite the fact that you didn't, JD. <laughs> hey, that's good. She's She kind of hit it big a few years ago, as far as I understand. And what she presented uh, as part of the Dance Dance season was a double bill with a condensed version of a new work uh, with an intermission and then an older work of hers. There were a couple times this year when I got that opportunity to see several works by one artist from different years. And I think that's so interesting. And I think that needs to happen more often because you could really see between these two works, the comparison of her growth, what she kept, what she dropped, what she, where she developed. But, but in general, she has a lot of strength in kind of taking unexpected movements and moments and turning them into choreography for stage. Uh, she has a lot of fun in her work. There's a lot of humor there. There's a lot of, uh, technically sharp and uh, demanding moments and it speeds through a lot of ideas it's really full yeah so i really appreciated her work i can't help but noticing that two of the your your top pieces you've seen this year were choreographed by former 
Lead Choreographers of Ballet Jazz de Montréal. Oh, well, that tells me something. You, you should probably keep an eye on the, the, the upcoming choreographers from Ballet Jazz de Montréal because you're probably going to love them. Well, what I think is interesting about this whole idea of doing a retrospective is obviously you can't go back and see most of these works. But what is important to know is the names of the people who are making waves, the names of the people that are being appreciated so that you can keep looking them up. So that's a really great point, JD. I can see more of my, the direction of my tastes and go towards that. Uh, my my next pick actually will be something that goes pretty much in the opposite direction of uh, Sir Barton. It's uh, George Thomas's Husk, which he presented <gasps> at Montreal. Uh, Montreal Dance. At Montreal the 25th Dance, yeah. anniversary. And that was a piece, um, like a one-hour long about piece. For anyone who's seen George Thomas's work, it does oscillate between performance art and dance. I don't feel that the desire to put virtuosic performers on stage is one of its main aspects, far from it. He puts bodies in contact and sees the bodies operate in, you know, in different definitions of time and space. And just rhythm, like the rhythm is really important in his work, like changing rhythms. Um, also questioning notions of gender is, is very present, uh, notions of body image and things like that and I, f I like Husk for me was one of those pieces where I was like you know when I grow up the kind of choreographies I'd like to make would be something that is as complete as that that piece that I just saw so yeah that was one of my very strong works of the year that cover of back to black was just awesome <laughs> that was a really unique piece and a lot of those moments come back to me And it's a, it is a very specific taste, I think, that kind of work. On another note, I just love talking to George Stamos. And you can look forward to hearing a, an interview we already recorded with him and Aaron Flynn uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, he's not afraid of saying what he thinks, which, you know, is always really interesting, I find, from a choreographer, a performer, teacher, also in, in the case of Aaron and George. And, um, yeah, it's it's refreshing. And I feel that in his work, you never get the sense of censorship either. The last one on my top five that I made is... Uh, the number one? What? <laughs> is that the number one? No, I, I didn't no put them... Order? There's no order. Because okay. seriously, like, I, I feel that it's already tacky of me to do a top five. But if I put oh. them in order, now it's just like overboard. <laughs> no, the last one on my list is Caroline Lorrain-Bocage with Soak. Uh, which was actually a collaboration with uh, Martin Messier, who's a musician, a composer. And that was presented at Tangente early on in the year. You know, now it's been a while since I saw the show, so I, I'm not that great at describing shows I've seen such a long time ago. But it was a really powerful work. The use of the music, of the, the soundscape, of uh, lighting. Uh, Caroline has really visceral, raw you know, movement, uh, using the, the floor a lot. And that's something for me that I love to see. I love using the floor. You know, she is just such a dynamo. And the performer with her was Brianna Lombardo. And if anyone's ever seen Brianna dance, she is just insane. She is so powerful. So just, you know, the way she embodies movement is breathtaking. And, you know, the, the, the combination of Caroline and Brianna together was just a very potent mixture, I'd say. So, yeah, that was my top five for the year. That was the Dirty Feet retrospective for 2012. And, of course, uh, it's not a comprehensive retrospective. We haven't seen everything, so we're not going to lie to you. There are some stuff out there that we've missed. Uh, we are going to encourage you to see the article that J.D. was talking about earlier. Uh, we posted it to our Facebook page so you can get some other people's opinions on the, the top dance shows of 2012. But, yeah, keep, keep reading, keep researching, because when you know what to see you're going to be happier with the results instead of just randomly picking shows. Although that's good, too, because you never know what you're going to hit. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was getting into when I went to Tete Tete, and I was really pleasantly surprised. So, And we've got a great year coming up. 
too. Like, there's going to be some fantastic shows. Coming up really soon in January, there is a Catherine Godet, Je suis un autre, um, which is being presented at Théâtre La Chapelle again. It's a reprise. It was presented last year. And I heard that show is just fantastic. So that's one of the shows I really hope I'll be able to go see. There's There's so many good shows coming up and I can't even think of them right now but look up the the, uh, presenters schedules Mm -hmm. uh, look up at their calendars see what's happening because it's going to be great here Agora quietly put up their new season and uh, and La Chapelle you can go find out Uzinse the Mai the May everywhere yeah so it's going to be a great year I have a couple other suggestions of shows to see before the new year even starts. Uh, there's the Ladmi student shows. You've missed already the second year shows, but the third year shows are happening um, December 19th to the 22nd at 7.30 at Théâtre Rouge du Conservatoire, located at 4750 Henri Julien Avenue. And it's just $18 or 10 if you're a student. And that's nice. Ladmi produces some really strong dancers, and they're um, presenting works from a variety of Montreal choreographers. You know, it's a cheap way to see a good dance show. There's also Holiday Land. Uh, we keep talking about this burlesque dance episode that we recorded and we haven't yet released Which but it's we're coming. keeping for christmas i guess that's right yeah but holiday land is a is a production that a lot of those people a lot of those artists we had on are participating in it's a good ladies production is presenting holiday land it's a theater and neo burlesque show it's happening at theater st catherine on december 20th at 9 p.m tickets are 20 bucks and you got the likes of Miss Sugarpuss and Miss Labertine Rose, no, uh, Sucre yes. à la Crème is performing in that. Uh, who am I forgetting? Well, Cherry Typhoon, who's one of the creators of the show, is performing in it too. It's going to be awesome. I'm I'm going to be there. It's going to be fun. Just a quick note while we're on calendar, the uncalled for formal is happening. That's right. Every year they do like a Christmas show, and you get to get dressed up, decked out in your suit or your dress, and head over to uh, Mainline Theater. It's on Friday, December 21st, so you go to Holiday Land on the Thursday, and then you go to the Uncalled For Formal on the 21st, on the Friday. It starts at uh, 10 o'clock, and they, they do an improv show, and these guys are hilarious. They're so funny. And you just have a good time. You have a couple drinks, and you wear a dress, and you feel like a pretty lady. So, uh, happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, Joy Noel. Dirty Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theatre. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Dirty Feet is produced and hosted by Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, Jen Doan, Joanny Ferrand, and distributed by No More Radio. You can find more about our show at nomoradio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet. And you can find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Tune in next week for a whole new show.